Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Shocking discovery. An abortion facility in Washington, D.C. is under scrutiny after the remains of five babies were delivered to federal authorities. These children were killed in third trimester abortions, meaning they may have lived outside the womb if given the chance. We take a closer look at this horrific act with live action reporter Sam Dorman. A disturbing trend. A number of liberal states in the U.S. are pushing for an increase in physician-assisted suicide. California and Colorado have already made this legal. Senior counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom, Chris Chandevel, joins us to discuss how doctors in these states and others could be forced to participate in assisted suicide. Empowering Women. A new book seeks to help women embrace their ability to bear children and nurture the people around them by better understanding how the female body is designed. We speak to author Teresa Kenny, who shares the inspiration behind her book for women. We begin our show this week with some news that has brought deep sorrow to the pro-life community. Viewer discretion is advised as the details we will share are quite graphic. As of taping, the Washington, D.C. medical examiner has refused to conduct autopsies on five aborted babies who were handed over to federal authorities by pro-life activists. The activists from the progressive anti-abortion uprising, also known as POW, claim the babies were given to them by a truck driver outside of Washington Surgical Clinic. He was tasked with transporting medical waste from the facility. In addition, the group reports that they retrieved the remains of 110 unborn babies who were victims of first trimester abortions. These 110 children have been given a proper Catholic burial. This incident has led to outrage among many. Autopsies of the five babies currently with federal authorities could determine if their deaths violated the federal partial birth abortion ban or the Born Alive Infant Protection Act, which was signed into law in 2002. Medical experts are saying that the babies appeared to be in their second and third trimesters of gestation and could have been born alive. In the presence of a Catholic deacon, Lauren cut open the box and the red plastic bag inside. We then proceeded to unpack the remains of 110 mostly first trimester aborted children. At the bottom of the box was a clear plastic bag with five more containers, one much bigger than the remaining four. Teresa Bakovanak, founder and executive director of POW, said the truck driver who gave them the babies agreed to do so when he was told the children would receive a proper burial. They were being transported in a large box that he handed over to them to take home. And joining us now is someone who has been following and reporting on this story very closely, Sam Dorman, a writer for Live Action. Sam, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I want to start by just talking through a timeline of how this discovery played out. Where did POW take the remains of these children, and when did the federal authorities obtain them? Sure. Uh, so POW found these, um, I'm not sure exactly if they've said the exact timing, but they had them, and then they were taken to Lauren Handy's apartment, mm -hmm. um, and that's where they were found last week. Um, Lauren Handy and the POW had asked the authorities to come and get them. Um, so now we have, a live, they, they gave Live Action a, a tip and now uh, Live Action has footage and we've reviewed the footage and experts have reviewed the footage and we currently see that, you know, these are babies who were late term. Um, they could have been viable. They also could have been subject, like you said, to partial birth abortion and um, 
there's potential violations of federal law. Yes. And the D.C. police have not pressed charges against Lauren Handy or Pow in this case, mm. but uh, Lauren Handy is now being indicted in a different case from about two years ago, and they've, they've brought that back up. Why is that? Do you have any insight into that? No, it's kind of weird timing, right? Um, the, uh, the indictment was brought basically right around the time that they went and got the fetuses um, after Powell had notified them of that. And it's really unclear as to why the Justice Department is doing that now. We can only hope the Justice Department, you know, since this is a potential federal violations, they clearly have jurisdiction over this and they should be intervening to um, investigate whether these are, what, what, kind, what happened to these babies. Yes. And have we heard anything from D.C. police or federal authorities as to where these five babies are now? What's, what's happening to them? It's our understanding that they're at the uh, medical examiner's office, and so the medical examiner has so far declined to do an autopsy, so live action is calling for an autopsy. We need to have uh, an independent pathologist review the results and do their own investigation, and then we'd also like to have a uh, proper burial for the children. That's, like, I think the least we can do, yeah. an investigation is the least we can do, considering the state that they're in. Everyone has seen the pictures and how terrible they, you know, the, the, ter the condition that they're in, um, and only imagine what kind of undignified treatment they receive. Right, right. And the reason that the D.C. medical examiner says he won't autopsy the bodies is because he says these abortions did not, uh, they weren't performed illegally. Mm. But could you speak to what the current law is when it comes to the partial birth abortion ban and the Infant Born Alive Protection Act? Sure. What's the law? Is it, tr how can we know that these, these abortions were in fact legal? Well, so the problem is uh, with D.C. law, it's pretty uh, liberal, one of the most liberals in the, liberal in the country. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you can basically abort any time, but there's still federal restrictions, like you said. So the partial birth abortion ban um, protects infants so that they can't be pulled out of, you know, pulled partially out of the woman and then uh, killed immediately after that. So there's, and, and in fact, there's one baby that looks like that is what happened to them. Mm -hmm. um, medical experts have said that it looks as though that child had um, had a puncture wound in the neck and then had their brain suctioned out, um, which is very hard to, to look at. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the other law, like you said, is the Born Alive Infant Protection Act, which requires life-saving medical care. Um, and this particular doctor, Dr. Santangelo, has said um, on camera to live action investigators that he does not provide that and he's just willing to let them die. Horrifying. So, yeah. <laughs> This is the conditions are there for any kind of investigation. Right. Yeah. Yes. And Senator James Lankford, along with other pro-life lawmakers, have just issued a letter demanding that this investigation be carried out. These autopsies happen. Uh, have you heard about anything else that lawmakers are doing to take action on this? Well, so they released a letter, uh, and I think there are more, maybe more letters coming. Um, but that particular letter, it was about two dozen members of Congress and. Um, you know, we can only hope that they're in communication with the Justice Department, but this is the Biden administration, so who knows what the Justice Department is going to do. You know, they brought this FACE Act violation, which is um, about, uh, you know, the, the so-called right to abortion that, um, and they're, they're using that to prosecute pro-life activists. Mm, so unfortunate. And uh, could you speak a little bit to how we know that these babies may have survived outside the womb? I know that you've been in touch with expert physicians on this issue. Right. Well, that's one of the things that we need to look at um, because you can do things with an autopsy to see, for example, if they breathed um, and th they were able to make it outside of the womb. But besides that, I mean, you look at them, they're, one of the babies looks like he's potentially full term. Um, the other one that's really interesting is a baby that was born in call, so it was still in the amniotic sac. Yes. And if, that's if that is the case, uh, Dr. Santangelo has said that he doesn't actually um, do injections. Usually there's a feticide that's injected. He says, he says that he usually just cuts the cord and lets the, the baby bleed out. Well, you can't do that if, if 
they're still in the amniotic sac. So there's indications with that that the, the baby could have been born alive and just left. Mm, so many questions here and so much more that needs to be uncovered. Sam Dorman, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And joining us now for medical analysis is Dr. Ingrid Skopp, Senior Fellow and Director of Medical Affairs at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Dr. Skopp, as someone who has dedicated your life's work to bringing life into the world, I first just want to hear what your immediate reaction was to this devastating news. When I um, initially looked at the photographs and the videos, my initial reaction was sadness. Um, these babies were big and they were clearly viable. They could have lived separated from their mothers. Um, um, they looked like normal um, children that I deliver every day in my practice. Mm. Could you tell us how specifically you determined that these babies could have been victims of infanticide or of partial birth abortions? Well, one of the babies, um, a little female, um, the initial picture that looked at her face um, showed very little uh, cranium. It looked as if she might have anencephaly. Um, but a photograph from the back showed a surgical incision into the back of her brain. Um, this is consistent with a procedure that is illegal by federal law. Um, a layman's term is partial birth abortion. The medical term is intact dilation and evacuation. Um, what happens is the baby is delivered uh, feet first to the level of her head, and then an incision is made in the skull. Um, the brain tissue is vacuumed out, and then the skull can be collapsed um, and delivered. Um, the, there was a, a large male who looked as if he had no... Um, visible abnormality or surgical incisions. Um, I, my concern with this child is that he was probably delivered by an induction abortion. And if he was not killed prior to the abortion, um, generally that's done with a needle injection into the heart or into the amniotic sac with um, digoxin or some other poison that will um, stop the heartbeat. If he was not killed in advance of the abortion, it is highly likely that he survived the abortion, was born alive, and then was allowed to die by neglect. Mm. And based on what you found, is it certain that these babies could have survived outside the womb had they been given proper care or a chance to live? Um, the, the size of the babies is consistent with uh, probably several weeks, maybe even several months past the point of viability, which is where we expect a baby to survive. Um, there were no obvious abnormalities that would make us think these children were killed because they could not survive. Um, so I think that there is a high likelihood that had they been treated as we should treat unborn children with care, um, that they could have survived either gone to term and lived or even lived at the gestational ages in which they were delivered. Mm. And Dr. Scott, we have just a few moments left. Uh, Pro-life groups are calling for the DC medical examiner to autopsy the bodies so we can know exactly how these children have been treated. From a medical perspective, can you share why this absolutely must happen? There are very few limitations on abortion in our country. Most people are unaware of that. But even so, there are some limitations and for abortionists to flagrantly violate the law in order to kill children that are capable of feeling pain. Um, generally, these late abortions are for the same elective reasons as early abortions. Um, this is 
analysis and um, possible prosecution is crucial for the ethical well-being of our society. We cannot allow people to kill these babies wantonly without regard for the law. Mm, could not agree more. Dr. Ingrid Skopp, thank you for looking so closely at this situation from the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Thank you, Prudence. In a disturbing trend, certain states are pushing for an increase in physician-assisted suicide. In both California and Colorado, doctors can currently be forced by law to participate in physician-assisted suicide, even if ending a life goes against their own moral beliefs. In Colorado, the number of people being prescribed medication to end their lives rose by 18% in 2021, according to the Colorado Sun. However, only 28% of Colorado doctors surveyed are willing to serve as the attending physician when patients choose to take these death-inducing pills. Doctors in Massachusetts could soon be facing similar discrimination as a case before the Commonwealth's Supreme Court could potentially overturn a law that prohibits physician-assisted suicide. And joining us now for more details is Chris Chandevel, who serves as senior counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom. Chris, thanks for joining me today. Can you explain why we're seeing this disturbing rise in physician-assisted suicide and what might be done to put a stop to it? Sure. So I think it's 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 really tragic that um, you know there really is this push by advocates for physician assisted suicide really across the country um, to increase the availability and uh, to, you know to 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 increase the opportunities for people who you know oftentimes are vulnerable and, and, and at risk and at a very difficult time in their lives and you know already feel like uh, they're a burden on on their families and the people who care for them uh, to really offer those people what seems like a, a quick and easy exit. Uh, and, and unfortunately, as we're seeing, when those opportunities are made available, uh, when there's so little oversight and so few safeguards, uh, and that the, the safeguards that are put in place are immediately challenged, um, that sadly, we, we are seeing those numbers rising. Um, and it, we just think that um, it's something that uh, unfortunately will continue unless more people you know, rise up and recognize the impacts that it's going to have really on all of us. Mm. You know, because. The medical profession uh, touches all of us at some point in our lives, and this is an issue that will will continue uh, to have prevalence throughout the country. That's right. And can you share the details of this Massachusetts case? I understand you recently argued in favor of their current law, which right now prohibits physician-assisted suicide there. I did have the opportunity to argue that case. So that's a lawsuit brought by two doctors, uh, one of whom uh, himself, sadly, uh, has stage four prostate cancer. Uh, so he filed a lawsuit uh, along with another doctor arguing that under the Massachusetts Constitution, uh, patients should have a fundamental right uh, to have access to lethal medication from their doctors in order to end their lives. Mm. And so whereas in, uh, I think, nine states plus the District of Columbia, the, the legislatures have passed laws legalized physician-assisted suicide, uh, this is particularly dangerous because it would find uh, not just that it's legal, but that patients have a fundamental right uh, to lethal medication. And, and once that, once a court uh, holds that there's a fundamental right to this, there really are no limitations mm. uh, that can be placed on it. And mm. so that's why we we quickly got involved in that lawsuit and why we were so thankful to have the opportunity uh, to argue that last month there in the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. And Chris, what's your response to those who think that doctors shouldn't have a say when their patients want to kill themselves, want to end their lives? 
You know, so many uh, doctors and medical professionals, uh, you know, my, my mom is a nurse, my wife is a nurse, uh, my brother is a doctor. Uh, so many medical professionals get into the practice of medicine, you know, because of their faith, because of their religious convictions, uh, because of their desire, uh, you know, to, to be a healer uh, for patients in need of care. Uh, and what we're seeing, unfortunately, in states that have legalized physician-assisted suicide, uh, states like Colorado and, and California, you know, initially it starts out as, well, we'll, we'll make sure we protect the conscience rights of medical professionals who don't want to participate. Uh, but very quickly, uh, the rug is pulled out from under those doctors and medical professionals. And we're seeing, you know, states forcing uh, medical professionals who don't want to participate in death, who want to continue uh, to serve the role as healers, being forced to choose between their religious convictions uh, and their jobs. And if those medical professionals are driven out of the uh, practice of medicine, you know, that, that, really doesn't, that really doesn't benefit anyone. I could not agree more. We have to stand up for it. The deeply held beliefs of these medical professionals. Chris Shandevel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Prudence. Coming up, we'll tell you why pro-life advocates are outraged at the leaders of a Catholic school in Boston. Plus, we'll speak to the author of a new book which seeks to educate women on how the female body is designed. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. A Catholic boys' school in Boston is going against the Catholic faith in honoring a radically pro-abortion member of President Biden's cabinet. That is this week's Speak Out segment. A disturbing report from our sister publication, the National Catholic Register, reveals that Catholic Memorial, a college prep school in Boston, honored President Biden's Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh, with an award, despite his radical pro-abortion beliefs. While serving as mayor of Boston, Walsh endorsed the Extreme Roe Act, which essentially legalized abortion until birth and infanticide. He also tried to name Boston a sanctuary city for abortion and mobilized other mayors to promote abortion as well. He previously received the Men for Choice Award from NARAL Pro-Choice Massachusetts and took part in a ceremony honoring abortionist Kenneth Edelin. Edelin once suffocated a baby boy by squeezing his umbilical cord while the baby was still in utero. When concerned Bostonians reached out to Cardinal Sean O'Malley of Boston to voice their concerns, he dodged requests for comment, according to the Register. What kind of message does this send to the young men of Catholic Memorial? That it is manly to kill innocent babies? That our nation's so-called Catholic leaders should be celebrated for these killings? Men are born with the natural instinct to guard the weak, but Marty Walsh has actively condoned the killing of vulnerable people who have no voice. Catholic Memorial's motto is conquer evil with good, but to honor Marty Walsh at a Catholic all-boys school, that is a win for evil and stands in direct defiance to true masculinity. A new book from Lumen Press seeks to empower young women to be happy, healthy, and whole in a world that rejects the true nature of women. How can they do this? By learning more about how they are perfectly designed. The book, The Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole, aims to show women that their bodies are meant to be understood, supported, and respected. The book discusses the harmful effects of contraception and the importance of nutrition, fitness, and caring for your individual needs. Joining us now is Teresa Kenny, author of The Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole and a women's health nurse practitioner with over 20 years of experience. Teresa, thanks so much for joining us. Talk to us about what inspired you to write this book. 
Thanks so much for having me, Prudence. Yeah, so the inspiration behind this book is my work with women um, in healthcare for over 20 years. And what I've seen is largely that women do not know their bodies. And since they do not know how their bodies work, they can't really see the goodness, the true nature of their bodies, and they can't advocate for themselves and make choices around health that are good and true and beautiful. Yes, and how does the Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole empower women to choose life and to be pro-life? So I've really believed for years that this is the missing link in the pro-life movement because um, there is a disconnect, you could say, between the reality, um, the biological or procreative reality of our bodies, male and female, and how we make decisions. And in a world that's largely giving um, contraceptives and suppressing our bodies, as a woman, if we don't know how our bodies work or we're not integrated into ourselves, then we can't even make decisions around um, a life issue if we don't have the empowerment of knowing how our bodies work. And you know, as well as I do, in high school and college, this information is not being given to women. And it's the one thing I hear over and over again in my doctor's office, where I practice, where I am today, is I didn't know this information before. And it's frustrating to women to not you know, know how their bodies work and then not be able to advocate for themselves and their health. It's so important. And as you say, oftentimes doctors who prescribe contraceptives, they fail to address the harmful effects. Can you briefly explain what those effects are and what you've written about in this book in that regard? Yeah, I mean, there's so many effects. And I think, you know, a lot of times some of us will hear the, the larger effects, right? Breast cancer or blood clots. But I think what I get very frustrated by is that women don't understand the long-term effects on their body. For example, the nutrient deficiency, the increase in autoimmune disease, the increase in inflammation overall in their bodies, the decrease in their own sex drive. There's so many little things that affect the quality of a woman's life that she's never told. And so she can't make an informed consent decision around taking a medication when she's not been given that information to start. Yes, and it's been noted that this book fills in the gaps, as you say, for young girls that aren't learning these things in high school health classes or in college. Why do you think so much of this material is not more widely known or understood? You know, I think um, over years since the 1950s, we've come to the point in society where we really think that all young people need to know is risk mitigation around their sexuality. So. You need to prevent pregnancy, and you need to protect yourself from sexually transmitted infections. But we just were so afraid of those things, and we were so afraid that women need to just understand that. We tend to just completely forget that women deserve to know the truth of how their bodies work. And I can tell you, I had a girl um, recently in my office that was so frustrated that she went to an all-girls school and no one had given her this information. Mm. And she had been put on the pill since the time she was young. She didn't have a choice about it. She wasn't told about the side effects. And now after nine, 10 years, she's realizing how her health has been impacted for years. And she's angry and frustrated. And I think many women are frustrated for that same reason. Mm, she has every right to be. Where can our audience order a copy of The Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole, Teresa? Thank you. Yeah, so The Happy Girl's Guide to Being Whole is at lumenpress.org. That's L-U-M-E-N press, P-R-E-S-S dot org. And um, it will also be on Amazon probably here in the next month as well. Um, so happy to have people check it out at lumenpress.org. 
Thank you for getting this information out. Teresa Kenny. Thank you so much, Prudence. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing prolifeweekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.